Good morning, church. Let's begin getting into God's Word together with a word of prayer. God, we are so grateful for the fact we get to open up your Word today, and we pray that it would be your Word speaking, not mine or anyone else's, and that anything that isn't of you would just fall by the wayside, God, but that you would speak today, that you would lead us, you would guide us. We just can't wait to hear what you have to tell us today. And church, if you join me, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Well, church, we've been in a series called Family Matters, because we believe that the matters of your family matter to God. And so we've been kind of looking at some different things that are so important in having a family that's rooted and centered on Jesus. And so we've been asking these questions within the roles of parenting, within the roles of family, within the roles of even our marriages. How do we have Jesus at the very, very center? And I've just been loving going through, and today we're going to be closing out our, our series talking about something that I think is probably the most important thing we can talk about in the realm of our families. It really comes down to, to a really key principle that I think every family has to wrestle with. It's the principle of control. See, in every one of our families, we have moments where we feel like we're in control, feel like we're out of control. I don't know if you ever have a moment where like a movie scene will pop in your head in the midst of your life. Anybody have that, like a movie scene that just really had an impact on you and like lines from movies just pop in your head in certain moments? For me and my family as a parent, I, I have a certain scene that comes to my mind like all the time. It, it, it's this line from, uh, from Bane in Batman the Dark Knight Rising. I don't know how many of you saw that movie, but I, it's a pretty good one. But there's this moment where Bane is being confronted by this guy who had been kind of paying him money to, to do certain things and kind of thought he was in charge. And so he kind of says, listen, I'm in charge here. And Bane, with his kind of cool Bane voice, goes, do you feel in charge? <laughs> and then the guy says, whoa, whoa, I, we gave you so much money. And Bane turns and looks and he goes, and you think this gives you power over me? And it's one of the coldest lines of all time. And I see it play out a lot in parenting. There's a lot of moments where I feel like, I'm the parent, I'm in charge. And this little voice in the back of my head is like, do you feel in charge? <laughs> or there's moments where like, I've given my kids everything and they're still not behaving. I'm like, I gave you ice cream, I gave you everything you wanted. And it's almost like the voice goes, you know, and do you think this gives you power over me? <laughs> like sometimes in parenting, I can feel completely and totally out of control. Anybody ever feel like that? Like, no matter how much you try to control things, it still feels like you're completely and totally powerless, especially when it comes to making your kids change, making your family change. Because we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the fact that the biggest issue our kids have, the big, biggest issue our families have, the biggest issue we have, is not a matter of simply changing actions. It's a matter of our hearts. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the fact that we can't change hearts, can we? But we know a guy, his name's Jesus. And so that's why we've been so centered on bringing everything in our life to Jesus. 
I heard this quote recently that parenting is not about exercising power for change in your children, but parenting is about your humble faithfulness in being willing to participate in God's work of change for the sake of your children. There's a moment in Mark chapter 9 that I love. Jesus has just gone onto a mountain with a few of his disciples for the transfiguration. And he comes back, and everything is in chaos. If you read the Bible, anytime it says, and then they went up to a mountain and left some people behind, it never goes well. I don't know why that is. But he comes back, and suddenly his disciples are in the midst of this huge argument. The Pharisees are kind of yelling at the disciples. The disciples are yelling at the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus walks up, and there's this guy that had kind of started all of it, but he's kind of gotten lost in the confusion. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, my son has a demon. I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't cast him out. And so Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do? And the the father says, listen, if you can do something, I'd really like it. This is my wording. And Jesus turns and he says, if? Like, if I can do something? He says, do you, do you believe that I can do something? And I love this quote. It's the most beautiful prayer. I think it's a prayer that so many of us need to pray sometimes. He says, Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. It's one of the most beautiful prayers. I love it. He's just like, God, I believe. But like at the same time, I need your help in really believing because I'm struggling. And that's the thing. Anytime we have unbelief, anytime we have things in our life that we can't handle, coming to Jesus is the most important thing. And then Jesus, after being asked, why couldn't we cast this demon out? What do we need to do differently? Jesus replies, this kind can only come out by prayer. There's two important lessons I see in this. The first is that we need to be bringing everything to God. And second, I I see that prayer is something that Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he's talking about faith. He's talking about how much faith do you really have. In fact, his prayer is something that allows us to bring things to God, but it also is something that builds our faith, builds our relationship with him, and it's one of the most important things we can do in our families. And so in the moments when we feel out of control, we feel like we can't possibly do it on our own, in those moments where we can't, possibly solve these problems, these kind can only come out by prayer. Now, I'm not saying that your kids have a demon. My kids act like it sometimes. But the fact is, there are a lot of things in our life that we can't handle on our own. And prayer is the most important thing we can do. In Philippians 4, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, sometimes I think when it comes to prayer, we we forget that prayer is not a break glass in emergency kind of thing. It's not something that we kind of set aside until an emergency happens, but it's something that we should be doing all the time because God wants to talk to us and speak to us and guide our hearts. Sometimes we don't really pick up the phone to call God, if you will, until everything's falling apart around us. But something I always loved in watching my parents was the way that they prayed for me. And they prayed for my future. They prayed for my future wife. They prayed for God, for God to bring me a, a wonderful, loving, godly woman. And it worked. And she's beautiful, too. My, my tell you what, if you, if you want someone to pray for your kids, my parents know what they're doing. I'll tell you what. 
But you know, I, I've, I heard this quote recently that the most obvious sign of pride isn't boasting, it's a lack of prayer. And it's something that I have just continually been repeating that for so long because I just love that phrase. See, anytime we're not bringing something to God, we're saying, God, I got this. God, I can handle this on my own. We're saying, God, we're basically having pride, saying, listen, I think I can do this by myself. One thing I have found in leading a family is that I can do nothing on my own. I need God each and every day. And so today, I want to talk about prayer, and I want to look at the prayer we just prayed a moment ago, the Lord's Prayer. It, for, for those of you who don't know, the Lord's Prayer comes from two passages in Scripture, Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. And both of them are in response to Jesus' disciples asking him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so really, the Lord's Prayer is great to be prayed in its entirety together, but really, it's a model of how do we pray. And so today, I want to look at a couple things in the Lord's Prayer that I think are really important. If you want to join me in Luke chapter 11, that's a great place to join me. We're going to be looking at a few things before and after it as well. What I find, what I love about the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus kind of helps us to understand the model of prayer first. Because I don't know about you, sometimes my prayer life, and I think this is okay sometimes to have familiarity with God, to just cry out to Him. To go, God, I, I, God, I need help. That, that's okay in moments. But sometimes it's like my, I, I look at my prayer life and there's been times where it's like my only prayer to God is, okay, God, here's my wish list. I need this. And I just go right into everything I need. But I love how Jesus starts the prayer. He says, Our Father who art in heaven. I love this reminder of this because it starts, first of all, reminding me, especially as I pray for my family and I pray for my kids, is the fact that every parent has a heavenly father. Every boss has a heavenly boss. Every king has one who is above all kings and authorities in the world. In Matthew 5, 3, it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. See, the first thing we have to realize is who's on the throne and we're not. Sometimes we start prayers off by kind of going, okay, God, here's what I want. But when we start off prayer, Jesus is saying, listen, start by saying this, God, you're up here, I'm down here. It's pretty much what he's saying here. He says, our Father who art in heaven. I love that because it's a good reminder to me that heaven is our home, not here. That there's something more, that God's best is better than my good. 2 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. I, I just love that passage because the thing is, as we pray, are we coming to God going, God, here's what I want here, but I know you have something even better. So God, if you've got something better, then you do that. Or are we coming trying to be like, God, I, I, I want to control everything right here. I want things to look perfect in my own eyes here. Do we want our good or God's good as we pray? So as we pray for our families, we, we first start by putting God at the top of where he belongs. Our Father who art in heaven. Understanding where we're going and where our eventual home is. And then he says, hallowed be thy name. Now, of course, we continue. I, the, I, I'm going through it today in the King James language. And those of you who maybe aren't that old, you know, some of you were there when it was written, I think. But for most of us, we weren't. 
And so obviously this isn't language we do, but it's language we know. It's language we all, we all grew up hearing this. But really, what does hallowed be thy name mean? It means, may your name be kept holy. May your name be worshipped. And Jesus starts off by saying, listen, when you pray, put God where he belongs. Admit, God, you are our Father who art in heaven. You are the one who's up here. I'm not. And then saying, God, may you be worshipped. I heard a quote on worship recently. It says, why does the church have to start over every few years developing new strategies to save the next generation? Because previous generations spent so much time, money, and effort modeling worship after their own tastes that they neglected to take the generation with them. They forgot to make God real to their children and their grandchildren. See, Worship is one of the most important things we can do. When we come to God, worshiping Him is so incredibly important because when we worship God, it realigns everything in our life. When we come to God and we worship Him and say, God, You are worthy of all the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever, it suddenly realigns everything that, okay, it's not about me. It's it's not about what I want, but God, I have desires, but Your desires first. Your kingdom first, and it will change everything. As we pray for our kids... I've heard it said that your children don't so much need character management, but they need worship realignment. Because so much of what goes wrong in our family and our kids is not about just simply their character, that they're making bad decisions. It's that they're worshiping the wrong things. It's that they worship what everyone else thinks, so they're following the crowd. Or they worship what they feel, so they're just going with their own feelings and they're ignoring what everyone else says. So often in all of Christianity are the issues that we have, the sins that we struggle with, are because we're worshiping the wrong things. So Jesus says, first thing you do is put God where he belongs and then give him the worship that he deserves. And then he gives a moment of vision. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew six thirty three says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says here to focus first on his kingdom, not ours. On his will, not ours. So often when I come in prayer, that's what I'm thinking of. My little kingdom, my little house, my little business, my my little thing that I'm working on. God, would you build my kingdom? What Jesus is saying is when you come and you pray, come and say, God, it's your kingdom first. It's your will today, not mine. God, I got these things going on over here, and I'd love for you to bless them. But God, the most important thing, God, is how do I build your kingdom? How do I put your kingdom first today? Whether that's in the way that I use the money you've given me, and the way I use the time you've given me, the energy, the resources, the way I go about it throughout the day. Am I building your kingdom or am I building mine? And then it says, here on earth as it is in heaven, asking God, would you give me the blessings that only you can give? Through your Holy Spirit, would you make me look more and more like Jesus to give people a glimpse of who you are? And then, then after all of this, after we said, God, you're on the throne. God, we worship you. We want your kingdom first. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread, which is essentially can be used in a lot of different ways, but really it's that moment of, God, give me my daily needs. God, here are the things that I need today. 
I love that because every time I look through that, I'm reminded that so often my needs are not fourth on the list, but in this prayer they are. He says, have these priorities first and then come to me and bring me all those things that you need. And with your kids, it's the same way as we pray over our families. Asking them, God, would you give them those things they need today? Would you give them the strength they need today, the blessing they need today, the correction they need today, whatever it is they need, the food they need today, the things that they desire. God, here's the things they desperately want. After we've already put God on the throne and admitted who, we, who He is and who we're not, it's a great time to come and ask for things. And then we get to the matters of our heart. He says, And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or another way of saying that, God, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. How many of you guys really like praying that prayer? Anybody like that? I'm glad some of you do. I'll be honest, I don't always like that. Like, I I would much rather just say, God, will you just forgive me? That's it. And I just go live however I want to. Yeah, I got some people that I'm, but they deserve it. God, I, I deserve forgiveness. I think it's one of the most powerful things and lines in that prayer that we often overlook. God, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Which immediately goes to my heart and says, listen, how how am I forgiving other people well? Because if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to forgive better. I'm going to love people better. When people wrong me, I'm going to handle it differently than other people would. It says in Matthew 18 that Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times, he asks. Which, by the way, that's a good negotiation. Seven times? I mean, that sounds pretty good, right? If you mess me over one time, two times, three times, and I let it get all the way to seven? Like, I think Peter was kind of negotiating a little bit. Because, like, you know, he's like, okay, we can kind of wiggle a little bit here. And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but seventy times seven. He then goes into the parable of the servant who's been forgiven. But the the servant who goes and is forgiven of much by his king, and, and his debts are given away, and then he goes, and someone who has just a little bit uh, just a few, owes him a few dollars, basically goes and throws him in jail. And the king comes back and goes, what are you doing? I forgave you of all this and you couldn't forgive this guy of just a little bit? We start, as we pray, to then start asking for things of the heart. God, would you help us to be more forgiving? Would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? And with our kids, we pray, God, would you have your way with them? God, would you help them to be forgiving people of love who know you? Because the fact is, forgiveness, sometimes we read this and we go, okay, well now i got to forgive. But it's just like the, the fruits of the Spirit. They're fruits of the Spirit. And ultimately, forgiveness is something that comes only from God. And so it's when we draw closer and closer to Him that we find ourselves able to forgive. It's not about, hey, go, go, you know, go forgive this person and then God will love you. No, it's coming to God and saying, God, I believe, please help my unbelief. God, I want to forgive, please help my unforgiveness. God, would you help me to forgive these people? And finally, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, it's been really amazing over this series getting to pray with some of you, we've been doing a, a texting thing where we text out a prayer for each day. And last week, I think it was, we walked through the armor of God. 
We walk through Ephesians looking at the fact that our kids are in a battle and it is a spiritual one. The fact is, you, your kids and each of you have a God who desperately, desperately loves you, but also a devil who desperately, desperately hates you. And in the same way that God has plans for your life, the devil does too. And he's always trying to guide us away. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No, temp- no temptation has overtaken you. Except that what is common to mankind and God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Jesus ends the prayer there in most of our Gospels. There's some who have come in with a blessing, and that's in your King James Version, because some earlier uh, manuscript writers would kind of put in this blessing that was kind of used in the churches as modeled after 1 Corinthians 29 that says, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's very similar to, to 1 Corinthians uh, 29 verses 11 and 12. But from there then, Jesus ends, and he goes right into a story. And what I've always found interesting is when I read the Lord's Prayer, I get a reverence for God. I get this feeling of like, okay, God needs to be first, you know, for, for, for your kingdom. God, let your will be done. God, you are my heavenly Father. And sometimes then I almost feel like, okay, this is how I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to come and put God first, and I need to be very careful. And, you know, it, it almost can feel like, you know, let's not tick God off. Like, let's make sure we say everything right. Let's do it all the right way. And then he tells the next, the, literally in Luke 11, verse 5, he starts to tell a story that almost kind of flips this on its head. Not to say that this isn't the way to pray. This is the way to pray. But then he talks about the frequency of prayer. And I just love this story. Jesus said to him, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, he will give it to you because of your shameless audacity. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need, so you'll leave him alone. This story is is always a funny one to me. Because we're talking about prayer and he goes on, we're going to continue on in a moment. But this story is really interesting. Put yourself in this scenario for a moment. Imagine going to your neighbor's house at midnight and knocking on the door and saying, Hey, listen, I haven't gone to the grocery store yet. And my mother-in-law just came into town. I need some food. It's going to be really, really awkward for me. That's essentially what this guy is saying is in that day, hospitality was a big deal. So he's saying, listen, I, I need this food because I need to be able to save face and feed my people, my, my guests, well. And I, I love this because there's two things I find really interesting. The first one is this. Is that the person in the story who's going and knocking, you, know, you ever hear the, the terminology, you know, uh, poor planning on your end doesn't constitute an emergency on my end? You never ever hear that one? And that's kind of what's going on here. I mean, imagine your neighbor knocking on your door at midnight. What do you want? I need food. Okay, come back tomorrow. No, I need it right now. Oh my gosh. The first thing I find so interesting is that the, the issue that, that he has is his own fault. And so often when I go to God in prayer, the things that I do are because of my own poor life decisions. I don't know if any of you are like that. 
But sometimes when I go to God in prayer, the issues I have in my life are because I'm acting dumb. And I need God to help me. And the second thing is that in the grand scheme of things, my, this problem is not that big a deal. Like in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter that much. Like, come on, man, just get her food in the morning. Get, get your guests some food tomorrow. But what I love about this, I think that really is a, is a lesson for us. All problems that we bring to God in the grand scheme of things don't really matter. But they matter to God. Because we serve a God that loves us. And in the grand scheme of eternity, He loves us so much. And so then Jesus continues on. And He says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I love this passage for several reasons. But one of the key things I take away from this is that phrase that he uses, the shameless audacity. A lot of times when I have prayers, I have have some shameless audacity. I come to God with the problems that I created in a timeline that I want. And and asking for things that, you know, sometimes benefit myself. I come to God, and sometimes you can feel like, man, one of these days, I'm just going to annoy God. Like, God eventually is going to be like, listen, I heard you the first nine times. I've had this conversation with my four-year-old. You know, you ever have that one? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? I heard you nine times ago. Shh! But we have a Heavenly Father who's perfect, and He doesn't do that. It it kind of appears here that you kind of can't annoy God. That actually God wants you to come and bring Him things. And the question then is, well, will I always get what I want? Well, He says here that eventually, He says, to those of you who ask, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. See, the the more we come to God and bring everything to Him, the closer we're going to draw to Him, and the more of His Spirit is going to be in us. And what I have found is that the more of God's Holy Spirit I have, there are certain things that I don't necessarily want anymore that I thought I wanted. There's a lot of things that I think I want that as I draw closer to God, God will say, no, you, you think you want that, but let me give you some more of me. And you can understand my vision for your life. Let, let me give you, you know, that thing that you so desperately want. God, I, I want to I be dating someone. I want a million dollars, whatever it is. And God will say, eh, let, let, let me give you more of me. You start to see, okay, maybe yeah, it's not what I want. But what we're seeing here in this passage is that once we have the right attitude about prayer, putting God first of where He is and walking through that way, God says, listen, come to me and ask. Have some shameless audacity. Just keep coming back. Keep coming back and keep coming back and keep asking me. And God says, those who seek me will find me. And that's, I think, one of the most important things we can remember for our families. As we close this series today, my heart for our families is that we would be families that aren't always perfect, but we know the one who is perfect. And I want to encourage you today that whatever's going on in your family, whether there's divorce, brokenness, addiction, sadness, whatever may be going on, I want to encourage you on two things, something we've talked about throughout this series. One, you can't fix it on your own. And two, there's a God who desperately wants to help you fix it. 
that we get to bring everything to. And so parents in the room, husbands in the room, wives in the room, kids in the room even. Are you bringing your family before God and saying, God, would you fix it? Keep coming and keep knocking and keep seeking and keep bringing them. For those of you who have kids who aren't following Jesus right now, I want to encourage you, keep coming, keep knocking, keep seeking, because God is faithful. For those of you who just haven't seen anything change in, in, your, in your world yet, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking, because you serve a God that loves to hear from you and will continue to work in you, continue to shape you and mold you and even work in your circumstances. Because we serve an amazing and incredible God. Church, as we bow our heads today, I just want to invite you in your heart just to have a moment with me as we say, God, we repent of the moments where we've put ourselves on the throne of our own hearts, where we've made Christianity, we've made church, we've made our own lives about us. God, you are our Father who art in heaven. God, we we want you to be on the throne, not us. Thank you that because of your son, we're able to cry, Abba, Father. We're able to say, Dad. God, thank you that we can come to you and bring you things. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the fact that you love us so much. Thank you for all the gifts that you've given us today, for the breath in our lungs, for for the parts of our body that don't hurt today for the things in our our world that are good right now. God, thank you for those. Thank you for how you're working in us, God. And God, today, our prayers as we walk out of here, we we go out looking to build not just our, our kingdom or our own places of influence, God, but that we'd be focused on your influence coming. God, because we want your kingdom to be here. We want this world to look more like heaven. And the only way that'll happen is through more of you, through more of your Holy Spirit working. So God, would you come? And God, for those of us who have issues today that we're working through, God, things that we just we can't handle on our own, God, we bring them to you. And God, we ask for that daily dose of grace to be given to us today to get through it, to take the next step. God, thank you for continuing to provide for our needs. Thank you for all you do for us, God. And God, in everything, we just worship you and we just pray that our hearts would, would look more and more like you. God, that as, as we come to you, God, you would convict us of those areas where we don't look like you. God, please forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us, God. Would you help us to have hearts that are like you, that are forgiving, that are loving, that are kind? And God, if we don't have that, would you convict us and show us how to be more like you? God, you are so good and you're so amazing, God. I just pray over all the families that are represented here today, asking that you would be at the center, God, that they would see your blessing when they put you at the center. That they would see more of the fruit of the Spirit in their families when they put you at the center. God, I I pray that they would have a vision for for heaven in their family when when they put you at the center. God, thank you for how you're working and how you're going to continue to work. You are awesome, amazing, and incredible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.